You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, May 25th, 2023. Later in the program, Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin reports on an ordinance that would increase trash collection fees discussed in a recent meeting of the Bloomington City Council. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, the Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees provided updates on the new Southwest Branch construction. But first, your local headlines. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on May 17th, Population Health and Outreach Manager Kathy Hewitt shared some information on COVID-19 in response to questions from the public concerning the end of the public health emergency. Uh, We have received some questions regarding the end of the public health emergency, so we wanted to share a little bit of information. So the first question was, does the end of the public health emergency mean COVID is over? Um, That's a definite no. COVID-19 cases are down, but the end of the emergency declarations does not mean the virus is no longer a threat. The virus remains a leading cause of death in the United States with about 250 daily deaths on average. CDC does continue to advise that everybody stay up to date with their COVID vaccinations, use at-home tests if they've been exposed or have symptoms, stay home if they're sick, and wear a high-quality mask if COVID levels are high. These precautions are always the best way to protect yourselves and your loved ones. Another question was, the CDC COVID data tracker has changed and doesn't include infection numbers. Does that mean they're no longer tracking COVID? And that's another no. They are doing it differently, however. The authorizations to collect certain types of public health data expired with a public health emergency, but they're still tracking COVID. You can visit the CDC to find information on how COVID is impacting your state and local community, as well as the recommended precautions based on levels of hospital admissions. Because they're now focusing on how COVID-19 is impacting the community and it's using hospital admission, deaths, and emergency department visits data, as well as wastewater surveillance as their primary surveillance metrics. The National Respiratory and Enteric Virus Surveillance System, who does the flu surveillance, is now collecting the COVID testing data. Um, The CDC will no longer track community transmission or community levels. In Monroe County, our COVID hospitalization admission levels is low currently, such as is also the wastewater levels. However, 80 to 100% of samples still have detectable virus. And remember, if you are at high risk of getting very sick, make sure you talk with your healthcare provider and make a plan for what to happen or what if you become exposed or infected with COVID. And people can choose to wear a mask at any time. Remember that people with symptoms, a positive test, or exposure to someone with COVID should always wear a high-quality mask or respirator when indoors in public. So how does the end of the public health emergency affect community members? One way is this with um, COVID vaccines and testing and treatment. COVID-19 vaccines that were purchased with 
as part of the federal COVID response will still remain free as long as the supply lasts, although some providers may bill your insurance a charge for administration. And access to and cost of testing and treatment will vary based on the type and availability of insurance. So the end of the emergency declaration will impact coverage for COVID testing, including at-home PCR and rapid testing coverage. And all that will vary by insurance type. So you want to check your insurance to see how this is going to apply to you. The treatments that have been provided by the federal government still should remain free as long as the supply lasts. Um, but if they have to administrate the treatment as through an IV, the provider can charge for administration fees. The Monroe County Health Department will continue to have at-home free COVID tests that can be picked up at our office at 119 West 7th Street. You can call 812-349-2543 for more information. And the Monroe County Public Health Clinic, which is a partnership between the Monroe County Health Department and IU Health, also still has free COVID vaccines. So call 812-353-3244 to make an appointment. During public comment, a Monroe County resident spoke to the commissioners about the Gordon Pike construction project. Uh, the Gordon Pike extension project that is uh, running along the south side of town, me and several property owners live right against that construction project. And they're building a sound wall, which we're happy about, but the sound wall is going to be 12 feet tall and right on top of the property line. So it's going to cast a big shade. It's a north, it's a north south wall. So it blocks the vast majority of the sunlight. So essentially it's going to turn all the grass and to mud for over probably 50, 60% of the yards. It's also going to shorten the lives of our trees and our vegetation in the area. I've been in contact with Lisa Ridge and Paul Satterley and, um, Lee Baker, who advised me to make a public comment for you guys to record. And that was the main issue for uh, the yards concerned properties. Also, one other point was for the stop sign at the intersection of Wickens and Gordon Pike. It's the main stop sign to get into the Highlands neighborhood. And talking to Paul Satterley, I don't think there's going to be any safety precautions for making a left turn out of there. So the concern for several of us is being able to turn on a very busy uh, uh, road once it's completed. And uh, we weren't advised on any safety precautions as far as like putting a uh, roundabout or a speed bump or a stoplight or an extra turn lane there. It's kind of like a wait and see was the impression I got like on if there's going to be any accidents. So I just wanted to make a safety concern for the public as well that that's going to be a potential danger. Um, at that intersection and just that the county really looks at the all the options for that as well. Next, the commissioners heard from financial director Brianne Gregory, who asked the commissioners to approve a contract with Baker Tilly for consulting services to help manage American Rescue Plan Act funding. I am requesting um, program support for assistance with the American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA. Um, due to the number of projects and just um, the vast program requirements, we have believe this is necessary as an added control um, just for support with policy, um, compliance, implementation, reporting, and assisting with pass-through programs. <laughs> so um, the total expected, the, the budgeted amount for the four years of support is $116,450.
And this is eligible under um, ARPA as well. <laughs> county Attorney Jeff Cockrell explained how Baker Tilly was selected and that the county council will need to approve the appropriation of funds as well. And I would just add that we did a, a fairly extensive interview process where we reached out to our current auditors and asked for uh, their recommendations of vendors who, who they felt could support this. They, that auditing group could not because of conflicts of interest. And so we, we interviewed several candidates um, and, we, and the conclusion was that this was the, the, the proper group. I would say that this is not part of our ARPA plan yet. It's not been appropriated by county council. So your approval should be contingent upon those two things. The commissioners unanimously approved the contract with Baker Tilly, contingent upon the county council also approving the contract. The Monroe County commissioners met again on May 24th. Stay tuned to the WFHB local news next week for further coverage. At the Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting on May 17th, Director Greer Carson gave his monthly report on the library couple of highlights for everybody. First, we resumed our vital volunteer orientations on site, which is great. That began in April. Uh, we've also added playaway launch pads in the vital collection for studying English as a new language, math, and U.S. citizenship. And those are going to be both in-house use and circulating launch pads. Our teen masquerade dance was a huge success. We got 109 participants. And if you remember that back in October for the night to dismember dance, we also had about 80 participants. So something about library dances is popular and resonating with our teens. We're going to keep doing this. Um, our adult and teen librarians also collaborated for a, a unique take and make kit in celebration of National Poetry Month in, in uh, April, which featured notebooks, writing utensils, writing prompts for each day of the month. We also uh, resumed the use of our random poem generator, which was available for patrons on the second floor. You just hit a button and it spits out a random poem. That was popular the first time we did it, so we kind of brought it back. CATS completed their usual schedule of covering community meetings, including a series of mayoral candidate forums. CATS is also working with community partners, uh, including the IU Department of Musicology, on a Bloomington music scene digitization project. I think this is covering the 80s and the 90s, um, which, uh, if completed, the goal is to release this content to the public uh, this fall. Board President Chris Harrison asked about the process of weeding out books from the library if extra copies of books that are no longer needed are going to be distributed to the Southwest Branch. Carson responded. I was wondering with um, the work on the weeding and updating records in this system, mm -hmm. um, as you're going about weeding items, um, are you at all looking at things that we have at either the, our branch, this branch or at Ellisville that are duplicate copies that are still in good shape mm -hmm. that would be useful to send down to the Southwest branch. I know we always love to start a new library with all brand new books, but yeah. obviously we wouldn't want to send anything that's in disrepair. But. Sure, definitely. Um, so we're always kind of looking at our duplicate copies to see if it's worth transferring them to another location. When we look at relative use for a collection, mm -hmm. very often if we have multiple copies of an item and the relative use is low, then we don't see the, any sense in transferring it to the other branch. Um, but we do keep an eye on that for opportunities. Because I know there's sometimes books that, while they may not be as popular as they were maybe two years ago, mm -hmm. they're still read. Um, sure. And so, you know, you may not need three or four copies of it, but to have at least one copy yeah. is 
helpful. And we do that. We rarely weed in an, uh, all copies of a title before we just whittle it down to just one, and then mm -hmm. we give it another period of time, say 18 months, mm -hmm. to see if it circulates before we say it's not popular, people don't want it, and we pull mm -hmm. it. But for the opening day collections at Southwest, they will all be brand new items mm -hmm. from Baker and Taylor and Midwest rather than any transfers from downtown or Ellettsville. Books. Are you speaking about children's books or a, a young well, adult? Well, I, 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 being a former children's librarian, I, I do kind of think in the in the realm of children's books because um, I know there are some that were maybe like young young Hoosier Book Award books that maybe multiple copies were purchased, and now that it's not a young Hoosier Book Award, but it's still a good book. Board member Nichelle Whitney Wash asked about a patron's request for mental health services to be added to the website and asked how the library was going to respond to that. Carson answered. I have a question about one of the patron comments from April 2023. There mm -hmm. was the request for mental health services to be added to the library's website. How mm -hmm. do we respond to that? Good question. So well, the first response is we're actually, as you all I think kind of know, looking at opportunities to bring mental health services and social services into MCPL through partnerships with IU. And we've talked to a lot of other public libraries who are doing this or similarly or even putting social service workers on their, uh, their staff. Um, but adding resources to the website is in some ways a little easier and a little bit more immediate. So that's something we'll talk to Lisa Cimpelli and our content development team about, see what we can find. Next, Carson gave updates on the Southwest Branch construction, book stocking, and staff hiring. So the interior punch list was completed on May 4th. We had an expected number of like paint, drywall, caulking, cabinetry type issues, uh, but nothing significant or concerning. These are items that will be addressed by Strasser prior to opening. Um, the majority of construction and finishing work itself is actually complete. We still have some exterior metal panels to install along with some final electrical box and lighting adjustments. The surface level parking lot is completed and striped and the garage parking lot still needs striped. The amphitheater and labyrinth are around 70 to 75% complete. Concrete for the East End patio still needs to be poured and the sod and surrounding landscaping for the amphitheater need installed. Also, the individual pavers that make up the labyrinth need to be installed, but the amphitheater and labyrinth has certainly taken shape. The opening day collections arrived on Thursday the 11th and Tuesday the 16th. A small but energetic team of building services staff, content development staff, Josh Wolf and myself were all there to unload pallets of boxes and stage the collections near their designated shelving areas. And we are now unboxing, checking, and shelving all of the items. The children's collection has actually been shelved with face-out displays as of this afternoon. All of the furniture has arrived and is being assembled and installed throughout the building. Our billboards promoting the grand opening on Friday, June 9th, you may have noticed around town, have, have uh, gone up a couple of weeks ago, actually, as did our Bloomington Transit bus wraps. We've also worked with community partners on installing yard signs closer to the site itself. So if you drive down near Southwest, you're going to see those yard signs all over the place. The grand opening invitations went out via email a couple of days ago. Marketing Director Tori Lawhorn and I met with Herald Times just this morning to tour the building and answer questions in preparation for a big Herald Times story on the branch schedule for publication prior to June 9th. 
For the past several weeks now, Public Services Director Josh Wolf and I have been hosting early access tours for library staff, trustees, friends, board members, alumni staff, and community and business partners. And these tours will continue through the first week of June, culminating in our June 9th grand opening. And we have hired for almost all Southwest Branch uh, positions, Kathy Riley is our new Southwest Branch Library Manager. She comes to us from the Hancock County Public Library System where she served as a Youth Services Manager for years. And before that, she was a Branch Manager at the Tippecanoe County Public Library System. With the exception of Kathy, our Southwest team is comprised of legacy MCPL staff. And our goal here is to staff the new branch with as much institutional knowledge, confidence, and customer service experience uh, as possible. Lastly, Carson asked the board to approve seven change orders. The board unanimously approved the change orders leaving the Southwest Branch construction project with $38,000 left in the budget for any future change orders. The next Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting will be held on June 21st. In today's feature report, Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin reports on an ordinance that would increase trash collection fees discussed in a recent meeting of the Bloomington City Council. We turn to Askins for more. Headline, Fee Increase Trash talk for Bloomington City Council to start, but not end, on June 7th. The first reading of an ordinance that would increase trash collection fees by at least 58% got its first reading at Wednesday night's Bloomington City Council meeting. Under Bloomington local law, no discussion of an ordinance by the City Council is allowed on the occasion of a first reading. The trash collection fee increase would ordinarily be up for a second reading and possible enactment by the City Council at its next regular meeting, which falls on June 7th. But on Wednesday, Bloomington City Council President Sue Scambaluri announced she was referring the ordinance to the Council's Committee of the Whole, for which she set a meeting on June 7th, starting at 8 p.m. No action on the fee increase can be taken at the Committee of the Whole meeting. The Council's regular meeting for June 7th starts at 6.30 p.m but Scambaluri indicated she expects the business for that regular meeting to be wrapped up by 8 o'clock when the Committee of the Whole is set to convene. It's not clear at this point when the Council will take a vote on the increase. Regular meetings are scheduled for June 14th and June 21st. The question of whether to convene Committee of the Whole meetings as a part of the ordinary legislative process has been a contentious issue since the current edition of the City Council was sworn in at the start of 2020. For this year, the Council has been following a calendar that calls for regular meetings on each of the first three Wednesdays of the month, but without any Committee of the Whole meetings. Scambaluri's announcement of the June 7th Committee of the Whole meeting reflected a departure from the scheduling compromise that has kept the peace so far this year but on Wednesday, there was no pushback. The lack of any objection to a June 7th Committee of the Whole meeting can be chalked up to a general understanding by council members 
that the ordinance on trash collection fees will be contentious, especially given the size of the proposed increase. For those residents who use the most popular medium-sized cart, which is 64 gallons, the increase is proposed at around 75% of the current rate. Steve Lolan, who can be counted as the council's staunchest critic of using a committee of the whole in the legislative process, appeared willing to accept its use this time around without protest. Use of the committee of the whole is one way the council can give the topic discussion without any risk that a final vote will be taken. Another wrinkle for the scheduling of the trash collection fee increase is that Indiana's open door law prohibits a council member from participating in a meeting electronically, that is, over Zoom, if the council is trying to take action on specific topics. Those topics include adoption of a budget, reducing personnel, establishing a penalty, imposing or increasing a tax, or increasing a fee. In city code, monthly trash cart prices are set as a range. The city council sets the range, the Board of Public Works has to approve the price within that range. The current prices charged by the city are at the top of the range currently specified in the city's local code. In any case, when the council takes a final vote on the question of a trash cart fee increase, council members will not be able to use Zoom to participate in that meeting. That could prove to be a barrier to Dave Rollo's participation, who on Wednesday was out of state on a family matter and participated in the meeting on Zoom. Volan told Rollo he thinks the council will want to take a lot of time on the topic, saying, quote, I believe that this is a significant enough issue that we're going to want the extra time, end quote. Volan continued, saying, quote, it's complicated. We have a lot to talk about, end quote. Volan said he would support not taking up the trash collection fees for a second reading and a possible final vote until June 21st. That's even though the council has a regular meeting on the calendar for June 14th. Among the policy questions confronting the council for trash collection fees is whether the price increase should cover the cost of curbside recycling collection in addition to trash collection. Currently, cart fees fall short of paying for the total cost of trash collection. That incremental difference is subsidized from the general fund. Also subsidized from the general fund is the cost of curbside recycling collection. Not charging customers for the curbside recycling service has, up to now, been a conscious policy choice. Under Bloomington Sanitation Ordinance, only residents who live in single-family houses and other buildings with up to four units are provided the service of curbside waste collection. Residents who live in larger buildings don't get any curbside waste collection service even though they pay income taxes and indirect property taxes through their rent, which lands in the general fund. The proposed fee increases would put the city on a path towards using cart fees to cover all curbside waste collection. Another policy question raised by the proposed fee increase is whether the rate structure should be progressive, with a higher cost per gallon for bigger carts. The proposed fee increase uses that kind of rate structure.
Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Dave Askins of the B-Square Bulletin. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local longer 